This morning I would like to turn your attention and your thoughts to the subject of the drama of deliverance. The drama of deliverance. You know, buried at the heart of our Lord's prayer, called our Lord's prayer, it's more correctly called the Disciples' Prayer, taken from the sixth chapter which is of Matthew, which is the Sermon on the Mount, five, six, and seven chapters. He uses this phrase in that prayer that he taught his disciples, deliver us from evil. You know, evil is around us in many forms, in so many forms that they almost defy description. Evil in the form of tempting, seductive circumstances fill our environment. We have a sea of trouble all around us. And Peter said, the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. This great need of being delivered, it clings to each new generation. Just like a stubborn winter that uh, often seems to uh, stifle a, a, a really uh, a spring coming on, it just holds on. Evil in the form of wayward passions is, when, is within every way of life around about us, and it breaks through like a, a terrible volcano force, and it, it, uh, it has a sense of the world written on all of these things, and it, uh, it just is very dangerous, and it overhangs us just like oppressing shadows that bring on a lot of time depression in the man's way of life and causes us to lose hope. So I'm sure you'll join with me in this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, deliver us from evil. You know, our Bible is a story of man's search for deliverance from evil. It is the story of the individual in his efforts to be delivered from evil. It is also the great record that stands out in God's uh, great masterpiece, the Bible, and that each one is seeking to, enjoy, to understand this deliverance from evil. Each one has his own particular struggle. And I often think that the Bible is, is a wonderful drama that is very attractive to us, and we just want to get into it and read it over and over, if we can see this panoramic development from the beginning of the Garden of Eden when man failed, temptations of Satan, until the end of time and to our present time, each one of us. 
We all have our favorite passages. We all know the familiar incidents that's attractive and is very pertinent and powerful to us. But many of us do not understand and think about the great dramatic unfolding of the history of God dealing with man and how that this one theme is through it all, through the 66 books, 39 of the old and 27 of the new. Now, they're not arranged in chronological, chronological order, that is, one after another, but there is a drama in each book. There is a message in each book. You could begin back with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the misty morning of the history of mankind as a Jewish race and the promise of Christ's coming, and we can let it guide us down through the enslavement in Egypt and deliverance by the hand of Moses and Joshua. We can follow the turbulent days of the judges, which lasted uh, 300 and more than 350 years. Rough times coming to them. They tried to hammer those tribes into a semblance of unity over and over and over. They had seven falling aways and seven times that they came back with different leaders and different judges. We can watch the Israelites as they rose to prominence in the, under the kingship and leadership of King David and culminate in the splendor of Solomon's reign that was prosperous and was a relationship with other nations like it has never been before and was a dream of the Jewish nation. We see that kingdom, though, buried by taxation and by sin and by disturbances. And the ten tribes are lost, and the two tribes remain, but we see them over in the land of, of uh, Babylon. After they had gone through the test of being delivered, and every time not giving heed to God and his directions, it, it is a drama that man has dealt with. This morning I want to talk with you about one of these struggles that happened in the time of the captivity of Babylon. And the prominent book is, is the book of Esther. It's the book of Esther, and it's a, it's a drama within itself. It's, it, it's, the book is filled with a fast pace and has characters in it that that shows many lessons. You know, what happened at that time when they were under the Medes and the Persians? They had a, a king of Persia. There was over 127 provinces. 127 provinces. It was all the way from India over to Europe. And it's just amazing how many countries were involved. And he was controlling all of those. And he was taxing people tremendously. And he was rich. And he invited everybody for six months 
that was a leader in those provinces to come to Shusa. Susa is the way it is in some versions, so I'll just say Susa, the capital, and and celebrate for six months. Now that's a long time, 180 days. And at the close of that 180 days, he had a big party. They threw a big drunk, and he told everybody to have finest wine that 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 the earth could grow. And everybody could have as much as they wanted, and the way they wanted, and the kind they wanted. And when they got drunk, he decided to please everybody and to call in his wife, Vashta, and to disrobe her in, in such a way that she could reveal her beauty to all of the men that were drunken and wanted to see and look on the beauty and the lust of a woman. And her dignity and her training, her position as the king's wife among, he had a lot of wives, but she was the favorite. She refused. And when she refused, he called in the wise people and asked what he ought to do. And they said, that's the worst thing that ever happened. Why, the women will take over things, they'll run things, and they won't respect her husband. So what you do, you, you get rid of her, and you send a letter to the 127 provinces, and you put a woman in her place. So that sounds good, so that's what we'll do. So he divorced her. And he said, well, I'll have to have a queen. He said, well, I'll just send out to the 127 provinces for women virgins to be queens. And he did. Among those 127 provinces, of course you know Esther was selected among the people. And they required that one year training, one year on the proper diet, the proper bathing, the proper treatment with ointments, with perfumes, and with all, before they could go in and be selected before the king. And the day came that he selected one, and the one was Esther. Now, she was Jewish. If he had known it, with the leader that he had, Haman, would have probably never made the selection, but he didn't know it at that time. Now, what happened is that Mordecai was her uncle, and he had reared her when her mother and dad died. Haman was the second man in rulership under the king. And he'd go by Mordecai, kept the king's gate. And while that happened, I don't know. That's God's in hand in it. And he, being a Jew, knew that he was from a tribe that had tried to kill the Jews a long time in times of Joshua. And he didn't even give him a bow. He didn't give him the recognition. And that began to build up in old Haman. 
And he didn't know what he'd do. When he walked out, when he walked in, this man wouldn't recognize him. And he kept thinking and he kept conversing with his sons and, and those who were next to him. And they said, what you ought to do is just kill that Jew. You ought to be able to gallow and just hang him. Well, that sort of satisfied him. But he, he said, we've got to get this thing prepared. So he said, how is it that we can kill not just that man, I want to kill all those people. We've hated them since the days of Joshua. We wouldn't let them have certain privileges. So he finally decided that he'd make a law, have the king to sign it, that couldn't be changed. When he put his signet ring, signature on that, he couldn't change it. He said, there's a people that's not giving you recognition. There's a people that's, that's not doing for your country what they ought to do. And if I were you, I'd just put them to death. Well, being of that nature and the way they handle things, he said, that's fine. Go ahead and sign it. Go ahead and draw it up, and I'll sign it. And he signed it. Well, that satisfied Haman. He said, we'll get rid of those people. And they set a date. The last month, the twelfth month, and the thirteenth day of Adar. And we'll do away with those people. Well, Mordecai knew about it. And he began to pray and to fast. Esther had gone through the year's training. She had been selected as the queen, most attractive one. She kept getting messages. She couldn't go in there. She kept getting messages. And she said, well, what's Mordecai doing? He didn't even dress up. He wasn't like he was doing and on his job. And they said, she's praying and fasting. Well, she said, he can't do that. said, if they find out we're Jews, said, I don't know what will happen. So he sent her a message, and he told her what had happened. And he said, I want you to do this, Esther. I want you to go in to the king and ask him to save us. She said, sent word back and said, I can't do that. So if I go in to ask him something, and he didn't stick out his golden scepter, he said, she said, I'll be put to death. It's written, written down here. We all know that. You have to have an invitation. He wrote back to her, and he said, I'll tell you, Esther. said, if you don't, if you don't reach out and do this, do you think you, as a Jewish, is going to be spared? In that edict, it says each and every Jew and your family, including me and all the others of us, will be killed. Now, if you don't want to do it, you just know that God will rear up someone from someplace to do it. Who knows what you come to the kingdom for just such time as this? And she wrote back and told him, said, You, you go pray and you, 
fast. And I'm going to pray, and all my people that take care of me is going to pray, and we're going to fast. And then I'm going to go in and ask the king. So you know the story that she did. And the first time she asked him, he said, Oh, Queen Esther, what do you want? So attractive, she was so beautiful. He said, Up to the half of my kingdom I'll give to you. And she said, I won't have another banquet for you and for Haman tomorrow. Well, sure, it's granted. And then said, I'll, I'll ask you my request. I'll give to you my request. So it happened. And the next day, the next time they met, we understand that things are getting in focus and and they're getting ready for the second time, the meeting. Haman, the first banquet, he went out and he was puffed up because with pride and said, you know, I was at the banquet and I was the only one that was invited. But said, there's something else that just bugs me, and that is that Haman didn't even bow down to me when I came out. And his, his sons and his consultants said, well, why don't you build a gallow? Hang that guy. So he worked all night and, and built it. That night before the last banquet, the king couldn't sleep. He got the chronicles and said, read me the chronicles of our country. And they began to read here where Mordecai had saved his life. He said, what have we done to that person, for that person? He said, we haven't done anything. He said, I want to, I want to reward him. And early the next morning, old Mordecai came in. And he heard him out there and he said, come on in here. He said, so I need your help. What what would you do? What would you do for a man that you, you want to honor? I want to honor somebody. And he thought, well, who would he honor? He called me, and I'm the only one that went to the bank for the first day, so it must be me. And he said, make him king for a day. Let him put on your robe and your all of your outfit and, and get on chariot and all of that and ride him through the town and tell him that how great he is. And so they did that for old Mordecai. When they came to the banquet, the last banquet, of course, Queen Esther said, this is my, he handed out the golden scepter and said, this is my request. She said, I just want my life. What? I just want my life. I want to be spared. Now, if I'd have been a slave, I wouldn't have asked this. But since it's my life and my people's life, I just want my life and my people's life. He said, who has done this? And she said, Haman. He was in an uprage. And he gets up to walk and he says, and Haman, he was upset. He walked out in the patio and while he was out there, Haman began to beg for his life from Queen Esther.
When he came back, Cain came back and he thought he was trying to abuse her, have an affair with her. And he said, would you do that with Queen Esther? So he ended up on the gallows where Mordecai was supposed to. And Mordecai ended up as the in the place of Haman. Now, here's some lessons in our closing. Here's some lessons we've learned from this great drama. That's in the drama of deliverance through the Bible. This is just one case of man being delivered. God places his agents, his people, his loved ones in fitting places for doing his work. Don't you think you're unimportant? You're very important. Another lesson. The Lord not only arranges his servants, but he restrains the enemies during the deliverance of evil. Number three. God in his providence tries his people. He was trying Mordecai. He tried Esther. They stood the test. They prayed and they fasted. They asked him for guidance. You and I may have our particular problems. When we fail to communicate with the king of the universe, the one who's died for us and delivered us with the blood that he shed on the cross, we're failing in this Great drama of deliverance. Number four, the Lord's wisdom is seen in arranging the smallest events. The smallest events. You just think about that time that this king was reading the chronicles and came over that little sentence that said Mordecai had saved his life when two of his best men tried to assassinate him. God knows how to let us sleep. He knows how to let us be awake. He knows how to, us to key in on things that we need. We need to respond to it. See, you just think about how that Mordecai said just the right thing to Esther when he said, if you don't, God will raise up somebody else. And then she began to pray and fast. And these things bring great results when he works through it. Number five, the Lord is in his providence, or in his providence, he calls his servants to be active. You may be depressed, you may be discouraged, you may have lost hope, but in this great drama of being delivered, there's not time for that. When God delivers his people, his people have been praying, his people have been pleading, his people have been centering upon him and his power and his great deliverance. Who knows? But what you've come to the kingdom for just such time as this.
Number six, the Lord achieves the total defeat of his enemies. Haman and his ten sons were hanged. They were the they were the sons of people that had given Joshua a lot of difficulty. And God promised that they would repay. And they were totally annihilated. The Amalekites at that time. The Lord achieves the total defeat of his foes and the safety of his people. Now, there are five more lessons that we need to learn. The divine will is fulfilled and perfected and doesn't take our free agency away from us. We're still free. He's willing to work for us. We have the opportunity to work with him. Number two, we learn that wonders can be worked without miracles. These things just worked together, and there wasn't, you could call it a miracle in as much as God was working behind the scenes, but it wasn't a miracle like we see a miracle. God just works and guides us. So wonders can be worked without miracles, and he can do it today. In Ephesians, the third chapter, he said, God, who is able to do exceeding abundantly of all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, applies to us today. Number three, a great lesson to learn. We learn how Satan, the church, the saints, the chosen people, the people whom God has saved and is fortified and has promised to, that they can live forever, how safe they are, even in the overwhelming odds of those things around us that we need to be delivered from. Number four, we learn the wicked will surely come to an ill end. We just have to have that patience. You will not suffer. You will not be allowed. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide also the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God, deliver us from evil. Jesus, thank you for that prayer. May we continue to pray. We need to learn another lesson. We learn that each child of God should rejoice continuously that we have a guardian Savior, that we have a powerful priest, that we have one who loves us so deeply and so graciously that he'll never, ever let go. I remember a time someone told me that when he was a child, he died in 1970, but he said he, he was reared around New York. He said when they, he and his dad would go to New York, he said he remembered when he was just a child that he, he'd catch hold of his dad's hand, his dad was walking, he was a tall man, he said his dad was too. And his dad would walk and just hold his, and, and he'd say, just catch hold of my hand, we'll go through this crap. He said he did, but he said, you know, I was just so tired. And it came a time when I had to say, Dad, would you hold my hand? I'm so tired I can't even hold your hand. And said he'd just catch hold of my hand so I didn't have to worry. And that's the way Jesus 
That's the way Jesus wants us to do, to deliver us from the things that contaminate us and overwhelm us. He says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. If you're here this morning and you haven't believed in Christ, you haven't repented of your sins, you haven't been baptized, everything is ready. We can assist you in that. That's the gospel. That's the death, burial, and resurrection that you can have a part in now. If you haven't lived close to God, now you can come and ask for forgiveness and be delivered from the things that might allure you away as we stand together and sing.